Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. I've had a kitchen remodel where a major renovator here in my area, famous one, forgot to get us final sign off on the kitchen remodel 20 years ago. It was a remodeling addition. We were going to have to rip off all the drywall in that addition, put the right insulation in. And there was gonna have to be so much work done that the kitchen remodel wasn't going to happen because there was no way to get that up to current building code because someone didn't get a final permit sign off. Now, that leads to the last part of this one. Have all the permits been signed off on that residence? When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Hey guys, welcome to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Hey, if you want to find out more about this show, head over to AroundTheHouseOnline.com or follow us on social media, Facebook, Around the House Show. And we have a closed group, Around the House Nation, where people share up projects and things and things that they're working on. And it's a uh, real safe space to uh, share up stuff. And uh, trust me, if uh, anybody gets had a hand over there, or we don't uh, we don't accept trolls and rudeness and uh, fake posts, those people uh, get removed from the group so we can keep it safe for everybody. Well, today I wanted to talk about the top ten things to consider when buying a home that most of the people out there don't tell you about. I'm sure there's an exception out there. But these are things that uh, are not common that I think are a really big one. And uh, let's dive into this today. Uh, Number one on the list here, the first one, can you afford to keep it up and maintain it? You know, it's interesting. Someone might go out and buy a house. They bought their house, their dream house, and it's an old craftsman or an old Victorian. And they're just being able to get in there. But they maybe don't realize that there's fifty or a hundred thousand dollars of the work that needs to be done immediately. Is there, you know, maintenance as far as paint that needs to be done? Are they living in a coastal area where you literally have to repaint the house every five years? Really understanding the house you're purchasing and the ability to keep it up. You know, people go, Oh, I'm gonna buy a home warranty for a year or two. It'll you know, that that is a great band-aid. It might keep the systems working, but if you've got a 20-year-old HVAC system and a 25-year-old roof and it's been a decade or more since it's been painted, you have some big ticket items heading your way. And these are things I really want you to pay attention to when you're out looking at a house because, you know, with interest rates and things right now, as high as they are, you can't just go out and get a cheap home loan these days. You know, that uh, that is expensive. And so these are things that I really want you to think about. Now, here's one of my pet peeves that, that this is something that I've been waving the flag on for a number of years. 
And if you've heard me say it, I do apologize. But this is one of the biggest mistakes that I see out there, especially when you're buying a home that has been modified, built on, brand new home, a little bit different story. This is, are you getting what you're paying for? Now, here's what happens. Let's say you bought a 1920s home in the middle of a nice town. And maybe the back porch has been wrapped. Maybe the the top of the, you know, the attic space has been converted. The basement has been finished. What I'd like to see, what I really like to see is that you figure out what the square footage of your listing is. So if they say that it's listed at 1,700 square feet, this is the key. You might need to turn around and go to the building department. And this is what I want you to do. Head to the building department, find out what they list the building sizes. I have had 1,700 square foot homes show up as 1,000 square feet in the building department because somebody converted the basement and the attic space. And so it changes completely the square footage of the home. Now, the problem is, is don't go to the tax assessor or the auditor, because if you have a 1,700 square foot house you're buying and you tell them it's 3,000 square feet, they'd be happy to tax you at 3,000 square feet. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what the building department has. Because that building department, if permits have not been pulled, that building department is going to be the end-all, be-all of what that square footage is. And so what happens is, is you're getting a loan for 1,700 square feet. You're paying so many hundreds of dollars a square foot for this house. And by doing that, what happens is you're now buying a house that you do, that doesn't exist. You're paying st- residential, you know, livable storage space or livable space instead of storage space. And that's huge. So you want to make sure that's it. Now, if you're in buying a house and you're going through your due diligence and you find out that that is different, the next question to ask is what's it going to take to get that whole house up to building code so that square footage can be called livable square footage? Now, sometimes that can be really easy. Sometimes it can be very hard because what happens is, is those things are traditionally not grandfathered in. What I mean is, is if they did that in the 1950s or 1960s and didn't pull permits, you're going to have to bring that up to 2023 building code in most areas. I say most areas as there's probably an exception out there, but general rule is it has to be brought up to the newest one. And a great example is, is I had a remodel project I was working with a great licensed and bonded contractor on probably back in 2017, 2018, actually 2017. Pulled a permit for a master bathroom renovation, second floor of this house, got the permit. They said it was good, tore it out, called in for the rough framing and plumbing inspection. Spectre starts heading upstairs and goes, we don't have a second floor on this. What? The homeowner even had a stamp set of plans for that second floor. But either they had lost the permit, which Portland had done. They had lost a number of years of building permits at that time. The city of Portland had when they converted over to digital. There were permits that were lost. 
And then on top of that, what happened was, is uh, it cost the homeowner another $100,000 to bring that second floor up to current building code. They had to go down in the basement that was finished and put in new footings to have their proper support because it was attic space with storage. And so there was a significant remodel just to get that so it was counted to be livable space. I've had a kitchen remodel where a major renovator here in my area, famous one, forgot to get his final sign-off on the kitchen remodel 20 years ago. It was a remodel in addition. We were going to have to rip off all the drywall in that addition, put the right insulation in. And there was going to have to be so much work done that the kitchen remodel wasn't going to happen because there was no way to get that up to current building code because someone didn't get a final permit sign-off. Now, that leads to the last part of this one. Have all the permits been signed off on that residence? Has everything that's been started, has it been finished? You'd be surprised how many times I go to look at a remodel and there are open permits from a previous project where the people were so happy to get in and get finished that that project didn't get the final inspection or there was a problem where they, you know, got red tagged where it was, oh, it's almost there. We got to do four or five more things. And those four or five things got forgotten. And then nothing happened to get it finished off. People forgot about it. They moved on. And the project never got signed off in the building department. So make sure that what you've done in that project or the projects that have been done previously are finished off before you buy the place. And these are things you want to be doing early on. So when you're doing your due diligence during the inspection period, that you've got that taken care of because you want to make sure that these things are signed off because your bank might not be happy that they bought 800 square feet or 700 square feet more than actually existed in your home. Around the house, we'll be right back after these important messages. Don't go anywhere. show where we get you the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining me today. We're talking about the top 10 things to consider when buying a home that they don't tell you about. But first, make sure you're following me over on my new YouTube playlist. And that's over at Fox 12 Oregon. And look for the Around the House Northwest over there. We're putting up five or six new videos each and every day over there. Actually, each and every week. So about one a day over there. We've got new stuff. So you're seeing some great video content of the stuff that I'm working on through the TV show that we've cut up that you can catch over there. So if you're looking to start a project, we're starting to really cover a lot of stuff over there, including some great made in America, made in Northwest kind of stuff. Even though this show goes around the world and around the, the country here in the United States, we have some great products here that are made locally to me. You might be surprised that are on your shelf no matter where you're at. We've been talking about the uh, top things to consider when buying a home they don't tell you about. And the next one is, is that you should really do your inspections and do not do a no inspection clause on a house unless you're buying it at a really reduced rate. So here's the thing. 
you need to make sure that you have all the inspections done, one or two of them. And here's where I want to put a little asterisk on this. If you have any cracks in the foundation, I want to make sure you have a structural engineer come out and take a look at it. Even a foundation contractor, but I really want that structural engineer to come out and take a look at it. And I want you to do indoor air quality testing. In my area here, when you buy a home, it's you're forced to do radon testing. But I want to have mold testing. I want to have particulate matter like PM 2.5, that kind of stuff. I want to have all this stuff tested to see what issues are in the house. And those are things that I think are going to really tell you a story. If you get air testing done that says that there's mold in the house, now you can do a little bigger look and say, where is that coming from? And to be honest, if you're the purchaser, you want to be able to hang that on the hat of somebody else to pay for, right? Not you. So you want to make sure that you can get that dialed in. So make sure, that, of course, that the radon, the mold, you'd be surprised what comes up from chemicals to, um, I mean, you you can be surprised what pops up. If there's been a house fire in there previously, that can sometimes even show up. So these are things that I really want you to be able to see what the issues are. And at the same point, it's not a bad time to have a home energy audit done too to see what you can do and see what... Um, You know, how leaky is that house? What do you have to do to get that thing so it's really going to be, you know, efficient for you? Because with the price of heating and cooling and everything else these days, understanding what you're buying is going to be key. Now, here's the next one here. This is an important one that gets flipped over a lot, and we talk about it from time to time, but it's an important one. What is the houses standing in the neighborhood? Are you buying the most expensive house? Are you buying the cheapest house? What are you buying in the neighborhood? And I'm talking your investment. What is going on with your investment here? Because, for instance, when I purchased my house, I bought the smallest house with the biggest lot in the neighborhood, which ended up being the cheapest house in the neighborhood. And that gives me such a great place to be able to grow and be able to take this house into bigger and better things. Now, if you're buying a house in an upcoming neighborhood, you've got some serious issues there that you need to be aware of before you sign on the dotted line. So this is an investment. I mean, this is going to be your biggest purchase most likely in your life for most people. So understanding where that house sits in the neighborhood, you want to make the best value out of your decision. Now, if you're in a planned community and it's all brand new homes or they're newer homes, that's really not the same conversation as as in a more established neighborhood. Or if you're out on a farm, you know, just making sure that you've got a place for this to grow, that you can come out and be a little farther ahead is going to be a better deal. So that's one of the biggest ones. Now, here's the next one here. Foundation issues. I want to make sure, and this is something that you can do when you're looking at the house. You can walk around and see major cracks in drywall or apparent places where drywall might have been repaired. Doorways, windows, and here's, let me explain to you how the best way to do this. If you're looking to put an offer on the house, go around and open all the doors and windows. If they're all opening correctly, that's a good sign. If you walk around the outside of the house, do you see any cracks or crumbling foundation? 
have a little level in your pocket. Do things look like that they are correct? Are things level? Are things plumb? Do you look like you have a clown house? Has there been bad remodels? These are things that I really want to be able to take a look at. Now, a concrete foundation is solid. And if the foundation was poured right, it'll do a lot. Now, if there's cracks, for instance, in concrete, it's not that big a deal because you can get that repaired. The only issue that you need to look for is when things are sinking and you might have to put helical piers or pin piles in to help support stuff. Is that chimney pulling away from the building? These are all the things that I want you to take a look around and just be aware of so you know what's going on. Because these are expensive items that could need to be repaired. And it's going to be something that could devalue your home. I was in a house one time where um, the guy, I felt bad because the homeowner was a truck driver and his kids were watching the house. And I say kids, they were in their 20s. They knew better. The water line had broken out of the drain in the laundry room, and it literally caused $100,000 of the damage underneath the house because every time they ran that top-load washing machine, it dropped 50 or 60 gallons underneath and washed out the foundation wall under the kitchen, which caused the kitchen to sink and the room to sink. So they were going to have to rip out the plumbing, get rid of the mold in the crawl space, jack that portion of the house back up, and re-pour the foundation in there and do that. Now, these days, to be honest, unless that is the big thing, you don't have to jack a house up and move it or do that kind of stuff anymore. Literally, there's lots of ways to do it. In that situation, you're trying to get it back to level and fix it because it had settled. I mean, it bound. You couldn't have gotten the refrigerator out without a sawzall because it jammed the refrigerator from the exterior wall and the sidewall into the cabinets. It wasn't coming out of there. It actually bent the refrigerator. That's how much force had been done. But really, the, the, the key to all this here that you should be looking at, and this is the big one, is that make sure that this is going to be something that you can repair down the road. I have done new interior foundations on foundations that were crumbling where people said you needed to jack the house up. No, you don't have to jack the house up anymore. That is the old school way of doing it. You can actually go inside of that basement and pour a brand new interior foundation On the inside of that wall, you might lose a couple square feet, but you can actually live in the house instead of having to move out of the house and they jack it up because most building departments and engineers will not let you stay in the house when they jack it up. If you're putting a new interior foundation as many times, it will be a headache, but you'll be able to stay in that house. And those are keys to be able to have a house that is going to be worth the value that you're going to spend the money on it because we want to find you the right house. Before we head out to break, I want to make sure you check out our home improvement videos on AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Then you can head to YouTube from there. Around the House, be right back after these important messages. Don't go anywhere.
to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us. You know, I've been talking about the top 10 things to consider when buying a home that they don't tell you about today. And I appreciate everybody listening on the podcast and uh, everybody catching on the radio network across the United States. Thanks for tuning in. I do appreciate every single one of you. And if you're listening on the radio, don't worry. You can catch us all on the podcast. Just look for Around the House show on your favorite podcast network. Well, to review what we've talked so far is, you know, about those top 10 things to consider when buying a home that they don't tell you about. You know, can you afford to keep it up is one of them. Are you getting what you're paying for? Is the actual square footage of the house, you know, what they say it's supposed to be? Indoor air quality issues, you know, mold, radon, those kind of things. You know, how is the house in the neighborhood? Is it the most expensive one? Is it the cheapest one? What's the value? And then we talked about uh, foundation issues. And one more thing I kind of want to talk about, let me expand on that first one, which was, can you afford to keep it up? Are you living in an area where there is frequent or possibility to storm damage? Are you in a hurricane area? Are you in a tornado area? You know, what's, you know, are you nor'easters hitting you at the coast? What's, What's your situation? Now, here's the key with that. I want to go back and just kind of visit this real quick because we didn't really talk about it, but can you afford to make sure that that's going to be dialed in? If you get a storm, do you have enough to cover for that insurance policy? Can you afford the insurance policy on that home? Can you afford to get it back in it? You know, what happens if you have a hurricane? Is the house old where it might not make it? Or is it in Florida where it's one of the new fortified homes down there that'll take a Category 4 storm hitting it? So making sure that you can maintain it in our increasingly crazy weather out there. And no, I'm not getting into the debate of weather, but obviously there's storms out there and, and we're putting more homes in areas that there haven't been homes. And so we're seeing lots of different storm damage out there. Can you afford to keep that house up through the storm? Something to consider. Well, the next one here on my list, do you need room to expand? Are you, is, are you a young family? You're thinking about having four kids and you have a two-bedroom or three-bedroom house? Did you get a big enough piece of property that you can do an addition down the road? Now, here's the thing I want you to think about as well. And this is something that I have with my design clients. When I was doing design work a lot, it was a conversation we always had. Younger parents, and I have been a younger parent, and I've, I, I have thought about this. When you have young kids, you always think about, oh, well, I'm always going to have younger kids. No, younger kids are something that just happens for a handful of years. And all of a sudden, they're 6, 7, 8, 10, or, or 10 to 15, and all of a sudden, they're heading off to college. It goes quick. But is your house going to be able to fit your family plans Or do you have space to be able to make it that house? Because here's the thing. Right now, for instance, is a great example. There are a lot of people out there that are looking at their house, wanting to get to a bigger house, but they're like, I'm not paying the double the interest rate of what that new house is going to cost me. I can't afford that. And so that's one to consider. Can you do something to your house to make it bigger to fit your family situation? And maybe that's a big deal. Maybe it's not a big deal, but it's something to consider. And I always say that if you're going to design your house for small children, unless you've got a daycare, 
that should be a temporary fix. You know, 10 years ago, we saw um, all these miniature childlike bathroom fixtures coming out with the small toilets and the miniature stuff. And I thought it was a really bad idea because that was only going to be in there for a couple of years and then you were going to tear it out because the kids were going to outgrow it. And that's something that can cost you a lot of money and that's fairly wasteful. And uh, yeah, that's just not one that I'd be, be doing. I mean, it's cute and all, might look good on your Instagram, but is it going to be practical? Probably not. Now, here's the next one that I that is a big one. Is there an HOA or a condo owners association? Is there somebody that is controlling your property? Are you a person that drives a big truck, but you can't drive park a big truck in your driveway because it's against the HOA? Do you like to work on your cars? Do you like to do your own maintenance and they won't let you do it in your driveway? Do you want to have a natural landscape, but you have to have grass? Do you want to paint your house black, but they can only let you have five different colors of tan? You see where I'm going. HOAs can be great for keeping a house value and not letting a neighborhood go badly. They can also be a nightmare for a homeowner if you tend to live a little bit outside the norm. There are so many stories out there, and you can just jump on YouTube and hit HOA Horror Stories. How many issues do we see out there where somebody can't park their work truck in the driveway? It has to go in the garage. Or, you know, you you have more than three cars. You are not allowed to have more than three cars. You get where I'm going with this. These other issues with HOAs, I mean, I had a, I, I battled out a condo owners association with uh, my wife Julie's place where she used to live. I had no idea. And I mean, I had no idea because the rules weren't posted anywhere when I was dating Julie that I was parking in the guest parking spot. They weren't posted anywhere that I had a limit on how many hours I could be parked in that guest parking spot a year. So I was going to visit. All of a sudden it came out, where's my car? And guess what? My truck got towed by a predatory towing agency. Yes. And uh, those guys are actually being sued by the state of Oregon right now, which I cannot be happier about. That was a very celebratory. But I tell you what, this predatory towing agency, and yeah, we have a big problem with towing companies being scammers in the state of Oregon. That's a huge issue here that our state still has not gotten under control. But I tell you what, car got towed. It was illegal to tow it because the rules weren't posted, and it was a battle. Also, the thing is with condo owners associations and homeowners, let's say you want to move, and you're going to keep your house as a rental. Are there rules saying that you can't rent it out and make it a make it a rental? These things happen. So before you put that offer in, make sure you understand all the HOA rules before you get into that contractual agreement. Because it could be something that is not conducive to your neighborhood. I mean, are you do you like to be barbecued in the back with the with the smoke going? I have heard of of uh, HOAs limiting the amount of days you can barbecue in the backyard. Yeah, how insane is that? So be careful with what you do. 
understand it. And if you love HOAs and you are part of that conversation, awesome. You have found your new home. But I just don't want you to get trapped into something where your hobbies, your woodworking, your lifestyle does not work due to the problems that you could have with HOA clashing. And yeah, there's a ton of it. I've seen people get sued for, uh, or fined actually, not sued, but they get fined because they didn't mow their lawn every Monday. Or you don't have control of your front yard. I have a buddy, what gets planted in his front yard, he doesn't control, the HOA does, and you know something, even though he owns it, they're the ones planting the plants, they're the ones maintaining it, mowing it, doing all that. To me, way too much. But for somebody that doesn't want to have to take care of that stuff and wants to have that consistent look in the neighborhood, maybe that's for you. But just be informed so you know what you're getting into before you go. All right, we come back. We're going to wrap up all the different things, the 10 things to consider when buying a home that they don't tell you about after these important messages. Hey, if you want more information about us, head over to AroundTheHouseOnline.com or just find us on social media and look for Around the House Show. We'll be right back. today. Well, we've been talking about the top 10 things to consider when buying a home that they don't tell you about. And uh, the next one on the list here is really important. And it's understanding the crime and the laws of the neighborhood you're moving into. So for instance, if you're moving into Portland, Oregon, which you've seen all the different, uh, different things about Portland out there, Do you understand that there's all these additional taxes like art taxes? Do you understand that that, uh, drug use and homelessness is um, legal? That uh, if you have somebody that decides to put a tent on your front yard, it's going to be hard to get them out of there. Do you understand that somebody could be doing heroin in the street in front of you and the police aren't going to show up? So these are things that I really want you to understand what you're getting into in the neighborhood that you're moving into and understand what's the good stuff and what's the bad stuff so you can understand the right location for your home. Now, for many people, those are things that are okay. They don't have a problem with the high crime. They don't have a problem with the the drug use and all that stuff that comes with it and the homelessness. And, and I'll say that, that they don't have a problem because they keep voting the people in that keep doing it and letting it happen and not solving the problems. So I just chalk it up and say, hey, they're okay with it. And are you putting your house in the right location? Are you, do you have a family? Are you coming in an up-and-coming neighborhood where you're hoping it's a great investment? Or are you trying to go to a safe place with good schools? You know, there's no right or wrong answer here. It's going to be what fits best for you and your lifestyle and where you want to live. Quite frankly, where you can afford to live. That's part of the reason why so many people commute so far these days is because they can't afford to live by their place of employment. 
you can see a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in price difference between the house that's maybe close to their work versus to where they can afford to, which leads to traffic. So these are things that I really want you to think about. And the other stuff that you can think about too is is what happens in that neighborhood as far as your local neighborhood association, how active are they, just things like that to to understand what's going on. I I am not a fan of Nextdoor, but um, once you've got an offer in or you're looking in there, see if you can have access to Nextdoor in that neighborhood. And if you're living in a neighborhood next close to it, you can understand what's going on because many people and boy, will they complain about what's going on in the neighborhood. So it's just something to consider when you're out looking around what those crimes, laws, all that sort of thing is going on there. So you have a better understanding. Now, the next one here is a big one. What is the likeliness of your home to be able to flood? And can you get flood insurance for it? Just like earthquake, hurricane, are you able to get coverage to be able to make sure your home is set? Floodplain's a big one because uh, some places are in an area that could be flooded and they can't get insurance. Sometimes it's a FEMA insurance. Sometimes they just go, hey, one, you could have a flood, and two, we won't even let you build there again, which really reduces the value. So these are things to understand. Or if you look at some homes in some FEMA areas, they will say you can build there, but you're going to have to make the front door 12 feet off the ground or whatever that rate of flood is. So understand the ability to be able to have your house insured. If you have a pre-1920s house, sometimes that doesn't go well. I know many states out there where you have some serious issues with people trying to get their old homes insured, and it's due to the insurance companies out there. I know homeowners that every year their houses are inspected by their insurance companies in my area. doesn't happen. So it's interesting to see how those areas are. So just understand the playing field and what your challenges are moving forward to be able to do that. So understand the insurability and the likely cause of damage to that house. Kind of like we talked about in one, but just understanding so you can have that coverage and be good to go. And then number 10 on my list, parking. Do you like to have barbecues and have friends over? Is there a place for there to park? Do you have enough places for you even to park? Is your garage too small to fit your car into, your truck? Are you going to have an electric vehicle? Or do you have a place to charge it? If you have friends coming over with an electric vehicle, can they charge it there? These are all things to consider when purchasing that house. What can happen? Where can you park? Is it a busy street and and you have to walk, you know, a quarter mile down the road with no sidewalks? Maybe that's not the right house for you. Can you add some parking? These are all things to consider when looking at the home. Now, coming up here, I've got my honorable mentions that are a little side things that didn't make the top 10, but are pretty important that you should be able to think about because I want to make sure that you are going to be comfortable in that next new home that you're going to call yours. You know, it's kind of funny. One of the biggest ones that I see out there that uh, ends up popping up later is understanding 
where your property lines are and what your access is. Are you coming off of uh, off of a neighbor's driveway? Do you know that the fence lines might not actually be the property lines? You know, it's interesting. Uh, my house here, even that I purchased when I first bought it, started looking around, I realized that, uh, boy, my neighbor's fence is over on my property. There's a lot of different things like that where the math just doesn't work. And that, to me, is pretty fascinating to understand where those lines are and what problems they could have. You know, there are some interesting things where there's a pin in the ground and it says that's where the survey is, but now that number doesn't make sense. And so it's hard to figure out where the lines are and where they're not and how to get away with that within your neighborhood because these are things that can be very contentious and expensive if you have to fight that battle. You know, for me, I understand where my property line is, but the problem is, is with the one fence, I have to be very careful and I'll have to have that conversation with my neighbor and I haven't done it yet because if I do an addition over there, for instance, that line is going to be over where, you know, I have to measure from that side of the house to the property line and it has to be a certain amount of feet to meet code in my area. Well, that property line is a couple feet into his yard or into their yard. So that's going to be something that you have to really consider. So dealing with that, understanding where those lines are, and maybe worst case, paying for a survey to understand what it is can be a bigger piece. Because it's one of those things that uh, as long as people understand where that line is, and uh, maybe fences don't have to move, but you can put something together where, you know, that, okay, the next time that fence gets replaced, it's going to have to get moved over. Or maybe it's time to put a new fence up and uh, you guys share the cost and uh, put the fence over on the correct property line so that it's not, you know, being taken away as part of the property. So that's something to really consider and really think about when you're looking at something like that, because uh, it's something that could really cost you some money or be a headache down the road. You know, with access, if you are coming off a flag lot and maybe your uh, driveway comes off of that, making sure that you have all the rights and easements to your property is another key to finding the right home. And sometimes, and this is where realtors do a great job of trying to sell you and understand going through the process. And depending where you are, uh, some states require a lawyer, some states like mine don't, where you go through the escrow process and the realtor and the escrow, the attorney's not through it at all, but it's uh, carried out through that way. Depending on what location you are, have different rules and laws, but understanding where that property line is and understanding how you're going to go through this whole process to make sure that you're getting what you pay for, that's the important part. And of course, trying to find where you've got those issues that could cost you money later. I just want to see that you get into the house, get exactly what you're paid for, and don't get ripped off. Or get you're buying a house that you don't think it's nice as what you thought you were getting. And that's the key right there. All right, everybody. Well, that is our list for the day. We've got another one coming up here in just a moment in the next hour. But if you want to find out more about Around the House, head over to aroundthehouseonline.com. If you have a question for me, Go over there and you can uh, actually ask that question. Go over the contact us. I would love to put you on the show and uh, have your question answered and I can help you with that. Doesn't matter if you're stuck on a project or you're trying to find resources or whatever you're trying to do, I'm here to help. 
and head over to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Or if you've got a question, head over to Around the House Nation on Facebook. That is a group that we can also chat about what projects you have going. There's a lot of experts over there that would love to help. And some of them you've probably seen on television before. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Around the House this hour. Hour two coming up. Thanks for tuning in to Around the House. Hey, it's Eric G. from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand-molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.